Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. Hi guys, just like the rest of the motorsport community, we were shocked and devastated to hear that Antoine Hubert did not survive that horrific crash in F2 yesterday. Our thoughts are, of course, with his friends and family. There's not much more we can add beyond that which has been shared throughout the motorsport community already. But for what it's worth, we dedicate this episode of Missed Apex Podcast to Antoine Hubert and all the brave drivers who've lost their lives in pursuit of motorsport glory. Of course, we also hope for a speedy recovery for Juan Manuel Correa as well. Uh, And if you don't mind too much, we're going to give our regular soundboard a rest and we're just going to use a simple double beep to break up the segments. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined today in my shed by Matt Two Rumpets, our race analyst, Alex Jeansy Van Jean, and PR specialist, Chris Stevens. Uh, right, let's move on to the race itself. General impressions of the race, Matt. I, I do, I do revel in the tactical difference that we saw this week. Very rarely in F1 do we get to see a real choice between high-speed, low-drag and a high-downforce scenario. I think the last time we really kind of saw it, this juxtaposed against each other, was Red Bull going ultra-high downforce uh, against some teams who were going for more of a speedy approach. But there was almost no right or wrong answer this weekend. Yeah, it's interesting, and Spa is a great track to really view the design differences, design philosophies between the teams, because you have some sectors that are very good if you're fast in a straight line and have lots of power, and then you have some sectors where if you have maximum downforce, well, relative maximum downforce, let's call it, you can make up a lot of time. And we did see that as a story throughout the weekend where Ferrari always gained time, and especially it was in the first sector, especially, and watching Hamilton with DRS 
unable to chase down Vettel on the Kimmel straight after chasing him with DRS all the way up Eau Rouge, that, that just tells you the entire story of how Ferrari has decided to go. And we, we spoke um, you know, a couple of weeks ago saying that when has a team really succeeded with this high-speed, low-drag philosophy, apart from at you know, very track-dependent scenarios, clearly this isn't going to favour Ferrari for the course of the whole season, and it hasn't favoured them over the course of the whole season. We really were looking at these two races, Spa and, and Monza, coming up, where this philosophy was going to potentially give them a win. Yeah, these will be their wheelhouses. But I think it's important to bear in mind that part of the issue they're having is with the tires and the downforce configuration they've chosen, and that that was not an entirely foreseeable consequence due to the way they tested those tires. And they also had other issues at the beginning of the season. So in a way, I feel like this is the Ferrari that had had they not discovered those issues at the last minute in testing, or had they, I guess, to go your way, had they simply done a better job before the start of the season, Yeah, uh, we would have been seeing, I think, we'd have a much closer championship right now. There would have been tracks. Uh, well, there were two tracks right now we can already think of. I think Baku and um, Abu Dhabi, was it? Or no, um, the other one. The, the other, Bahrain. so I just start saying tracks. Bahrain, China. Yes, yes Bahrain with multiple long straights. Uh, we're also joined by PR man Chris Stevens. Chris, is it is it not the case now that we're starting to see that as long as you have a proper straight, a straight that can accommodate the speed and power of these modern F1 cars, you can you can get good racing, regardless of you know old or new tracks. If you do at least have one good point where the cars can show off all their grunt, you're in for a good race. Well, long straights for slipstreaming and heavy braking zones for late daring moves, it all adds up to, to great racing. But the particularly good thing about Spa is that those high-speed stretches are all uphill, which just increases the power of the slipstream. So even, you know, we have DRS on the Kemmel straight. It's very unnecessary because the punch you get is is good enough. And just look how Lewis was able to tow Sebastian uh, on the run out of Paul Frere and through Blanchemont into the bus stop chicane. And that was great racing. And it was pure racing. And uh, lastly on our panel is our race analyst, Alex Jeansy Van Jean. How are you, Jeansy? I am all good, apart from I've done my back in after attempting to play golf. Um, but um, looking forward to being on here tonight because um, we've seen a great race this weekend. Are you are you just starting golf now? Yeah, I went to the driving range for my second ever time. I bought a set of clubs online for a tenner. So if there's anybody out there who wants to come and give me lessons for free, I'd be well appreciative. I charge money, but I'll give you lessons. <laughs> uh, going back to driving of a four-wheeled variety, though, Jeansy, away from your impending midlife crisis for just a second, the the antics that we got from the the drag and the the toe effects that Chris was talking about was that absolutely farcical situation in qualifying, and I just knew you were going to have a take on it. The qualifying thing is getting ridiculous now. I think it now needs to be legislated. The drivers can't be trusted to do something sensible in the final sector. And I think there needs to be a minimum time for the final sector for you to finish, or you should at least be up to race pace for the final sector because having people hanging around by the bus stop chicane and hanging around at the um, last two right-handers before 
the stretch back up to the last chicane. It's just ridiculous. It's farcical. We nearly had the Mercs hit each other and we nearly had Bottas go into the back of a Lotus Renault. See this scenario a lot in, in motorcycle racing and particularly in Moto3 mm. where the slipstream is amazingly powerful and they all want a toe. And for this year, they introduced a minimum lap time to stop this kind of scenario unfolding because it is quite dangerous with, with people really slowing down to you know a dangerous position and maybe Formula 1 needs to look into a, a similar solution. How can a motorbike give you drag? It's this wide. Well, have you ever seen racing at Mugello? Go and no. Go yeah. No and no. Trumpets. Well, I'll tell you what it reminded me of is my old days on the velodrome, on the bicycle, doing the sprint races where you'd go around two really slow laps trying to get the other person to get ahead. And then you'd just come to a complete stop and balance there till somebody lost their balance and had to lead out the final lap which would almost always decide the winner. So I, I find it kind of fascinating to see all of this drama in qualifying. And we've already seen, was it in China, where some people didn't make their final laps because of the slowing down? Um, Leclerc said, get me out, get me out now. We're good to go. So I, I say, hey, it's part of the game and makes it fun. I, oh, yeah. I, it looked ridiculous. I, I agree. It definitely did make it fun. Didn't Bottas get over the line with something like four seconds to spare? Now, you can't tell me he planned to get over the line with four seconds to spare. He cut it very, very short there because, sorry, very close there because he was going for that slipstream. And he obviously felt that it was worth it. So, yeah, I, I mean, if if they want to make that choice at the very few where, where are where are the tracks where this is going to really matter, Matt? China, Baku, here, Belgium, um, and Monza. Apart from that, you're not going to get drivers really queuing up for a tow. Abu Dhabi, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I think you've hit most uh, most of the high points where we tend to see that sort of thing. But yeah, yeah. Well, interesting. We're talking about uh, cutting things close and. What we've not seen reported in the the big Mercedes conspiracy that you have in Formula One, oh, how everything gets covered up, Matt. When Mercedes didn't think they were going to get Hamilton out on time, what did they do? Dirty tactics. Yes, they blew up Robert Kubitz's engine just so Lewis could get (laughs) out of the garage for qualifying. Those sneaky, those sneaky Mercedes. But um, go on, go on, Matt. And I totally don't own lots of shares of aluminum foil companies right now. The, the interesting thing about that, though, Jeansy, is uh, as our resident Hamfosi, I know we have a lot of Hamfosi, but you're like borderline one of the worst slash best ones. I, I got a really uncomfortable feeling from Hamilton during practice, the way he went off in a weird way in FP1, I think, obviously losing it in FP3 as well, nearly hitting Bottas in qualifying. I just got one of those jittery feelings that it was one of these... Hamilton weekends where things just weren't going to click. He just didn't seem on it at all during practice. No, not at all. And and I actually think it's it could have co- contributed to him actually not winning this race because he went into qualifying with a car he hadn't driven basically because he'd written the front of it off. I mean it was a really easy mistake to make. He's got on the curb and the and the rear just got away from him. But yeah, he just after seeming positive because you always hear this whole thing about lewis where um a unhappy lewis isn't a fast lewis but he seemed fine the weekend attitude wise um but he just couldn't seem to make it get together it was a really bitty session for him but he made it wait today work today i'm fairly sure 
that out of what a PR specialist would no doubt term an abundance of caution, that Mercedes weren't using their very top power settings after the second engine of the weekend went pop. And that may have also accounted for some of the gap we saw in qualifying. See, Chris, this is why we get a reputation for a ham podcast. Uh, Hamilton doesn't win. And there we go. Wasn't his fault at all. Uh, they didn't crank the engine up. Yeah, it's a shame. It's absolutely, it's a shame. It's absolutely true, though. Um, just to contextualize Alex's comments there regarding Lewis's front end, um, of course, w- once he'd written it off, uh, they barely had enough time to, to put it back together, let alone do any of the setup work that they had done for the two and a half sessions that they'd already run. And then, of course, once he goes out in qualifying, he's under part Fermi conditions and they can't do any more setup work on it anyway. So he had a very unoptimized car throughout qualifying and the race. Cool. We'll say uh, unoptimized is a word. Why not? Uh, let's move away from the practice and the qualifying sessions and go on to the race proper. It was a fantastic Belgian Grand Prix to watch. Uh, the, the spectacle up front with four cars really battling for the win. Let's be generous. Let's say it's four cars. Bottas was there. But there was three cars who, before the first pit stop, had a legitimate chance of winning this race from two different teams. And actually, I, I am interested to hypothesize about what might have happened had the Red Bull started a little bit further up the field and or not hit Raikkonen. Because, Matt, if um, if I asked you, what were, um, what were the top three cars in the speed trap over the course of the weekend? What engine did they have? I might have given the game away, but you would naturally respond with... Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. me too. But Leclerc wasn't in the top ten, mainly, I suppose, because he was up out front and didn't have a lot of DRS. But the top three were all Honda-powered engines. So I don't think uh, Red Bull would have been at quite the disadvantage people had assumed, uh, given the, the fact that you know, they didn't finish in the top, the top four this weekend. Yeah, well, I think Red Bull uh, and Honda are certainly closer. And you can look at how well they did uh, at the end of the race. But it's always worth bearing in mind that part of that speed can come from having removed so much downforce that they can't really compete on overall lap time. Well, that's true. However, if you want to get on the hype train that the Honda engine is becoming a beast, then why not uh, Why not look at those speed traps and think, did Red Bull really strip everything all the way back? Is that thing that Red Bull normally does? Uh, maybe in Monza, maybe not quite so much in Spa. But Matt, the battle was between the red cars and the silver cars, and it always falls to you to tell us where the race was won and lost. Yep, and as always, it's the start that proved utterly crucial, because one of the cars we might have looked to to win, Sebastian Vettel, immediately and completely lost his opportunity as Hamilton got up the inside into the first turn. Now and you, you, ahead of him. Oh, sorry, I was interrupting you there, because you call that a lost opportunity, Actually, was it not was it not sort of lucky? I suppose you're talking about his opportunity to get Leclerc. Whereas Correct. Ah, uh, right. See, I'm thinking I, it's not fair to say I had dismissed Leclerc, but in the championship fight, he's not in it at all. Whereas the nearest non-Mercedes competitor is in fact Verstappen, but still in my head, the competition is Hamilton versus Vettel. So from Vettel's point of view of his battle with Hamilton, it was actually a blessing that Hamilton snuck up the inside of turn one because he was then able to get him uh, down that long straight. 
Right. Of course, it would have been better for Vettel had that not happened. And he was able to use that same slipstream and try and leverage it to get ahead of his teammate, who, uh, being relatively undisturbed, set himself a nice gap even by the time they got through the first sector of the race. Uh, but he was able to come back at Hamilton, and that proved to have really important implications down the road, especially for Ferrari, because we had seen on Friday that in race pace, uh, Mercedes, I think on the soft tires, was rumored to have up to seven-tenths uh, per lap advantage over the Ferraris, and yet they still managed to win the race overall. And the start, and particularly that duel between Hamilton and Vettel, is what kicked it all off. Of course, the other thing we did do is we lost Verstappen to his either immature move on Raikkonen or to Raikkonen's fading ability to have situational awareness due to age, depending upon which side you're on. And I'm guessing we'll get to that later. Well, I think since you've mentioned it, why don't we just get straight to that? Because I'm looking at the panel. And if I bring up all the panel in the in the window for the live stream to see, you can see Jeansy disagreeing furiously. So so let's um, kick off since that happened right at the start of the race. And uh, let's play a little game of whose fault is this? Okay, let's start with you, Jeansy, since you seem to have the strongest objection. I genuinely don't know what side of the fence you're on here. So we have uh, Kimi Raikkonen with a good car's width to the inside of him. Max Verstappen making a move down the inside. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen turns in pretty much all the way over the curb. Verstappen's still there, has his nose in, gets crunched. Whose fault was it? It's, of course, Kimi's. Um, Max was there. Max even went off the track onto the sort of um, green and uh, green bit of tarmac to try and avoid hitting Kimmy, and Kimmy kept coming across. I'm getting a bit annoyed, and I'll have a bit of a rant about Go with it. regards to these sorts of these sorts of moves. So everybody thinks, oh, because it's a lunge, because it's a dive bomb, therefore the person who's done it is at fault. It's only their fault if they don't hit the apex and they wash out and hit the person once they get to the apex. If that person is alongside, and even if they get there at the last minute, they still have right to the space. Um, whenever I'm racing and I'm defending from somebody, in my head, I'm always considering what I would do if I was the person chasing. Now, Kimmy has been racing for a very long time, has been going to, has gone to La Source many times. It's his most successful race circuit. He knows if there is a car's width on the first lap going into La Source, someone is going to dive up the inside, especially when that person is Max Verstappen. It's completely and utterly Kimmy's fault. Now then, uh, we'll look at the chat room before going to you, Chris. Uh, Carl uh, Isgrin says, uh, oh, hang on, sorry, I, I beg your pardon. Carl is there, but uh, Carola Rao says, race incident, but Max could have lifted. Of course, here on Missed Apex podcast, we don't have racing incidents. Uh, we must assign, bl- assign blame. So even if you think it's 50-50... I want to know who you think is more to blame. It's based on my marriage, where even if my house was on fire, my wife would insist on assigning blame before we we even left the house. I just want to address some of the comments in the chat room. Um, In F1, a significant part of your car um, in line with another car is considered alongside, and that could be the tip of a wing. So having even a wheel along the rear end of Kimmy's car, he has to give room. That is in the F1 rulebook. 
Okay, we can dig into that in a little bit, but uh, Chris, do get in there. Sorry, I just wanted to say hello to the live stream more than anything because they are chatting along as we record and uh, you can join them by searching for Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube. I think if you look at the incident in isolation, it is Kimmy's fault. I, I don't doubt that. But at the same time, I, I think back to 2016 when Max Verstappen made a very, very similar lunge up the inside of La Source and it resulted in contact. And this time it put him out of a race. Now we will praise Max's turnaround since that horrible start to last season he had and the maturity he's gained and the the racing awareness that he has built up. But for me, that has got to be his lowest moment of the season where he made an, a really unnecessary risk. It wasn't necessary. And we said the same thing in 2016. If he'd have just Ooh. sat behind them, he could have got them back down on the run into Eau Rouge and down the Camel Strait and stayed in the race just, it just, wasn't necessary to make that move just as a reminder that was Vettel that time on the outside wasn't it Vettel and Raikkonen v- Vettel and Raikkonen that's it and I, I I'm pretty sure I blamed Vettel for just turning in as if there were no cars there I'm I'm inclined to to agree with you Gene Z uh, just to just to clarify what you were saying about the rules and about a significant part of the car that the the part that you might have just missed off that that Brian H hello Brian is disputing is I think a significant this is a really confusing wording that they use they say significant part of the car which makes you think most of the car Matt doesn't it but significant part of the car actually just means any portion of the car I'm pretty sure they phrase it uh, as front wing rear wheel. So if your front wing is by the rear wheel, they consider you to have a significant portion of the car alongside. And I think in this case, that was certainly that was certainly thus. Are you in agreement with Jeansy or are you putting the blame? In fact, let's get Stevens on because uh, you've not actually said whose fault it is. Oh, Kibby's fault. Yeah, but I think Max should have erred on the side of caution. My My thinking behind this is I don't think Lewis Hamilton would have made that move if he were in the same position. Agreed. He- that back and stayed in the race which is what max should have done but wait a minute 2019 hamilton wouldn't have made that move 2011 hamilton would have made that move twice dragged Massa out of retirement and then dived up the inside of him as well yeah but this is the standard we have to put max to now if we want to see him and lewis competing for the title in 2020 for example to be fair ej hammer makes a really good point which is um not saying this is the reason but ericsson was in spa Yep. So it could have been Marcus. I mean, dead mean, but we'll we'll allow it. I think we'll allow it. Uh, Matt, we interrupted you. I I know that a, that a lot of people are are putting this at the feet of of Max Verstappen, but I think technically, from the rules of racing, I agree with Gene Z. Kimi Raikkonen turned well. There was a car there and turned all the way, and the car was still all the way there, and, and he's just wiped him out. Uh, good point from Chris. Impetuous, but I think. Um, no, in fact, Chris, I'm gonna I'm gonna duck away from that. I don't think it was impetuous. I think he was entitled to make a move. Matt, where do you stand? Uh, I think it was a good move. I think Raikkonen was 100 percent at fault. However, if we examine what happened, what happened was really, I guess, in the long term, I could make a single and sole argument for Max being at fault. And that is, his start was utterly <laughs> tragic. And I think that feeds us nicely back into talking about where the race was won and lost. Chris, you're desperate to get in, so go on. I just want to kind of come back at you like, yeah, he's entitled to do it, but that doesn't mean he should do it. Tactically, but it doesn't also doesn't mean it's his fault. 
No, it was Kimmy's, but he shouldn't do it. I will raise a very big difference here, which is that Perez was in between them and dropped back. Max had plenty of room to drive into, unlike those other incidents. And he had the speed because Raikkonen decided to break, oh, you know, almost as early as I probably would have to make sure I could cautiously get through the corner. And those two things, Max was like, oh, yeah, no problem. I'm going to be dead alongside. And it's Kimmy. He's a veteran, so low risk. He's like grandpa driving now. And But of course, the problem with grandpas is sometimes they forget to look in their mirrors. And that's exactly what happened here. It's actually a surprising move for Kimmy, as you were saying, Matt, because it's a bit like later in the race when Albon goes around the outside of Daniel Ricciardo. There are certain drivers you will pull that those moves on. It's like when Lewis went down the inside of Kimmy at Monza last year. He knows he can do that. He knows he can hang it around the outside because you trust somebody like Kimmy. So Max was like, oh, okay, I can go up the inside of Kimmy because Kimmy's not going to come across me. Right. And the chat room has now made the excellent point that based on my argument, technically, this was Perez's fault. How dare you, chat room? How dare you? I insist we move on from from this uh, Checo blaming. Right. Uh, where the race was won and lost. Let's focus in. Obviously, we've, we've talked about Verstappen's bad start. Very unfortunate. Not the first time this season. I believe he did it in Bahrain as well. No, it was one of the races he won. What race did he win? Barcelona. He also had a terrible start there as well. So something something wrong at Red Bull with the starts. Uh, let's focus in on the, the three cars that could have won this race. Uh, we have... Now Leclerc in the lead, Sebastian Vettel having retaken Hamilton down the long straight and then Hamilton in a very stalkery position behind Sebastian Vettel saying, <laughs> in fact, quite comically just going, Vettel's not that quick. And they're like, what, in, in the race, Lewis? Sure, yeah, in the race. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> it was just like, wow, you know, sick burn, Lewis. But yeah, so that's the situation we find ourselves in. How was the race won and lost from there? Well, now we've gotten to my second Favorite topic after tires, and that would be pit stops, of course. Yeah. Because that's where all the fun happens. Um, and what happened was that uh roundabout lap fourteen or so, Lewis had basically he was in DRS, they had a duel, Vettel pulled away, Lewis just reeled him back in after not being able to get by him the first time because of the Ferrari speed down the Kimmel Strait. He was able to establish enough of a gap that the Mercedes couldn't leverage the slipstream. It was had too much drag. Couldn't get close enough. And as he got closer for the second time, they were in the window that Pirelli had set up for a one-stop going from the soft to the medium tire. So Ferrari, in order to forestall an undercut from Hamilton that they thought they saw coming, went ahead and pitted Vettel at the end of lap 15. And what that did was it gave Mercedes the opportunity to start racing Leclerc in earnest because they kept Leclerc out. Absolutely. But before we get to that, Chris, the dummy pit stops, Mercedes are doing this an awful lot. It is definitely not allowed. And we're definitely getting to the point now where it's like, no, come on. It's not uh, you changed your mind at the last minute every time. This felt like a, a definite tactic to try and get Ferrari to blink. It's funny. Looking at the midfield battle, we saw Hulkenberg and, and Gasly making good progress with the undercut. And I feel like Ferrari tried to mirror that with uh, Sebastian Vettel. I don't understand why they didn't commit. I'm glad they didn't because yeah. 
would have sacrificed Leclerc as well. But it's um, it's funny because in the end, the other strategy was the quicker way. We saw it all across the field. The guys who stopped earlier really struggled towards the end of the race. Uh, you know, Spa being one of those circuits that does put a lot of load through a tire. Uh, and I feel like splitting the strategy was probably the best thing to do. But you know, before the race, we were thinking of how Ferrari might throw away this race because let's be honest they to put it mildly they've had a record of doing that this season yeah. they, they should have won it, it, it's ridiculous that this is their first win of the season it should be the fifth probably yeah, yeah exactly so w- looking at that i think we we're already a little bit worried that they were going to to uh to do that to one of their drivers and they also put uh, both their drivers in the awkward position of then having to swap around which I think was just very unnecessary. Get to that in a bit, Trumpets. Okay, well, I think um, I was going to bring up a similar point to you in that the biggest immediate problem of pitting Vettel early and putting him on those fresh tires once they saw his pace was that they knew it would they would wind up with Leclerc behind him and have to deal with that situation. Uh, that was really the only thing they did wrong. They were in the window. Vettel was going to get passed by Hamilton, and they wanted to preserve their strategic options for later in the race. They achieved all of those things by pinning him when they did. Okay, uh, Gene Z, just go to you for a second as a, as our driver, because Hamilton had a good couple of, not opportunities, but he was hanging around that DRS zone, and that first waft of DRS just sucks you in closer. But then he had a real opportunity before that first set of pit stops where he was in like four or five seconds and then ended up locking up. Yeah, he's had this uncanny thing lately where he's been well far back and then all of a sudden before you can blink, he's on on the rear bumper. Um, He's done that in the last few races and it's been really impressive. Um, But yeah, he was just coming up to the bus stop, just trying to get into the right position to have a go at him back up towards... um, uh, Lacoum and coming into the bus stop he's just locked up run a little bit wide it's really easy to do you're trying to break as late as possible because he knows that Seb is struggling um, so he just wanted to pounce on him and he just got it a little bit wrong you see it often from Lewis when he's properly properly on it but he, and, he, and he was properly properly pushing trying to get past knowing he had to be really really close uh, to to get over that that power or top speed deficit but Gene Z from a Hamilton fan point of view, watching it on TV, when, yeah, this is the strategy. I want to know how, how you saw this. When Vettel came in and uh, and then Hamilton didn't follow, did you feel like Mercedes had, had messed up? He shouldn't have followed him into the pits. He should have pitted the next lap. He had the complete opportunity to pit the following lap and come out basically alongside Seb. And then they left him out. And I, I was watching the timing at this point. And as Lewis set a decent middle and final sector, then Seb set in, set in a blinding last sector and blinding first sector. And then I knew it was over. All right, Matt. So uh, take us through uh, that pit stop phase and, and what happened once uh, once the rest of that top three ended up pitting. Yeah, I will do that. Thanks. What well, I was going to think that, did you ever do your job and then realize you left out something really important, like finish putting back together a complicated car and find like that extra piece and you're like, I wonder how important that is? I've done it with radars. Okay. Well, I just am going to say two words, safety car, four laps, important, 
And now I'm going to move on to the pit stops. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, safety I car. Just, I forgot like, about that. I'll yeah. just tape it on the outside in case they figure out where it goes later. Yes, true. There was there was a safety car, but, I mean, what did it really change? Four laps of Vettel not getting attacked by Hamilton. Good Four point, laps yeah. of tire preservation for both of the Ferraris who were struggling. And beyond that, I'll leave it there. Uh, so what we had was Leclerc then coming in on lap 21 with Hamilton still out. And if we're going to talk about a missed strategic opportunity, I'm going to disagree with Jeansy. I think they left Hamilton out because they knew they were racing Leclerc and not Vettel, even at that early stage. They knew they had the pace on Vettel. They weren't concerned about a gap to Vettel. They were concerned about the gap to Leclerc. And the gap to Leclerc when he pitted was 4.1 seconds. Chris, I think Matt might have hit the nail on the head, and I certainly didn't pick up on that, but we're we're not mercedes strategists but yes of course uh, the whole you, you know the the commentary is, has got that overlay now where they say chance of an overtake uh, when it comes to pit stops that was all hamilton versus vettel so we all had our eyes on that but if mercedes identified perhaps from hamilton's radio feedback where he was going vettel's not quick this is not a drama his tires are dropping off in fact sorry to to hold you off on your point later on in the race the engineer came on the radio to Hamilton and said, if Leclerc's tyre behaviour is the same as, as Vettel's, we're going to, to see him come to you very quickly. So they had clearly downplayed Vettel long in advance of the ordinary humble viewer such as myself had picked up on. I think the other thing they might have been worried about as well is even if they did jump Vettel in the stops or something, that Vettel might all too easily have just been able to draft right back by him. If, say, they were side-by-side on pit exit, Vettel probably would have come out ahead in that scenario because down the end of the Camel Straight, that Ferrari was still 10 kilometers an hour quicker than the Mercedes, uh, despite its kind of power advantage not being as significant as it is in qualifying. But it was still handy in the race. Right. So I I did the following thing. I got really... Um, interested in this point because Lewis was just banging on about it. And they actually talked about it in the cool down room. He was like, the gap went from four seconds to over seven seconds in the sequence of pit stops. We have 21 Leclerc, we have 22 Hamilton. So I went back and I looked and what I discovered was when he came in, Leclerc's in lap sector three was 33.654 seconds. Hamilton's was 34.0, which is you know, three and a half tenths right there. But their outlap sector ones, Leclerc was 46.08. Hamilton was 47.25. So right there, you're about 1.6, 1.7 seconds. And almost the entire rest of it was accounted for the fact that Mercedes pit stop was a full second slower than the one that Ferrari had. And right there, you went from four seconds to seven seconds. Now, I did go back and look at their last full sector ones. Hamilton was a 31.649 before he came in, because when you come out, you 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 get a slower sector one because you're coming out of the pit lane. Um, and Leclerc's first full sector one was a 30.878. And that is a huge difference. And this is where the undercut really winds up working for you. And I see you waving your hands and surrendering like my daughter when the math gets complicated. So... I'm just saying, stop, stop, please. Think about what you're doing to Jeansy. I can see steam coming out of his ears. Luckily, I was monitoring this the whole race. Pretty (laughs) much the entire race, sector one, sector three, 
the Ferrari, well, the Ferrari of Leclerc was three to four tenths quicker in each sector than the Mercedes. And the Mercedes of Lewis was between six and eight, six to a second quicker in the middle sector. So I will repeat myself carefully. Hamilton's last sector one that he that he ran before he pitted was a 31.649. Leclerc's full, first full sector one, so he's completed his outlap and is now on his first full lap, was a 30.878. That's more than just four tenths. And that that's where, if we're talking about where the race was won and lost, that was it. Leclerc leading the race undercut Hamilton and gained, uh, gained almost two seconds just by being on the fresher tires versus Hamilton's old tires. And the rest of it was down to their pit stop being slower, likely because they had to do a front wing adjustment when they switched compounds. And of course, Hamilton being held up by Sebastian Vettel for a few laps con- contributed to that as well because he wasn't gaining that, that speed. Uh, we'll loop back to that. Jeansy? No, that, I'm sorry. I was saying about Chris. I mean, the, uh, um, Vettel was holding Lewis up after Lewis had made his stop, so that actually didn't make a difference. Obviously, it did make a, a difference in the end, Matt. I think if we kind of roll this tape forward, uh, the, the scene was then basically set for the Leclerc victory, and... I, I thought I said to my son there, I you know, I think it's I think it's done and dusted now. I think Leclerc's gonna disappear off with this. Bono comes on the radio and says, This is gonna come to us if his tires drop off like Vettel's did. And and indeed that that was the case. So this was an incredibly close Grand Prix, and it was really, really tense in those last few laps because I, I definitely thought that it wasn't gonna quite be enough, but oh my god, is it ever the hope that kills you? Never the hope. And it was. And and what happened that really brought this into play? I mean, because once Hamilton was clear of Vettel and Vettel did hold him up uh, and and Ferrari did sacrifice Vettel to make sure that that Vettel did hold up Hamilton. Let's not gloss over that fact. But once once they got to the end of the race, they were in the last two laps. Hamilton was closing him down and at the same rate, Albon was closing down Perez. I will point out to those of you who like the midfield. We'll get to that later. And suddenly, he gets to the back end of the field. There's the Haases. There's Stroll. There's everyone that you don't want to have to go round when Lewis Hamilton in a faster Mercedes is chasing you for your first victory of your career and Ferrari's first victory of the year. And he has to go through all of it. And it just snapped the distance and made the last few laps so exciting watching that happen oh yeah the pressure on leclerc was incredible but i'll tell you what i was massively impressed with all the back markers they properly dove out of the way none of them none of them sort of waited to get through a particular corner they all just literally i think the hasses or two cars nearly hit each other before puon diving out of the way of one of them i can't remember which one it was um but yeah that was just a phenomenal sequence because when Lewis smells blood. He's he's after it, and Leclerc just had to be pinpoint. Uh, and I was really impressed to to hold it under that amount of pressure. A bit like with Max last uh, couple of weeks before the summer break. Um, so yeah, really really impressive. I think what's crucial for Leclerc as well is that generally this season, the race pace hasn't been a hundred percent for him. I think he's had the edge over Seb in qualifying. Not so much in the race, but this weekend 
he had Vettel on every corner uh, in in every area. Uh, and maybe for the first time since Bahrain, shall we say? Is that the first time they've had a proper head-to-head for a, for a lead battle? Uh, I, that's the, a really important thing for me, for the close first win anyway. It was interesting post-race. Uh, one thing that Vettel did talk about was that he had a hard time managing the tires. And that's very unusual for him. Um, so I don't know if it's changes they've made. Uh, I do know, if I'm remembering correctly, they're running less angle of attack uh, with the car because I can't remember words anymore. I have to say angle of attack when it's actually the rear end being higher than rake. the front end, the rake of the car. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Uh, Jeansy, I think I want to move on to, to, to the Ferrari dynamic that we've touched upon several times through that description. The simple question I'm going to ask you, Jeansy, as a, I don't think you're a Vettel hater. I know you're a Hamilton fan. I don't think you're a, a Vettel hater. Okay, let's pretend you're not. Um, is there any way back now for Sebastian Vettel? Because this isn't a knee-jerk reaction to how bad it looked in this race. We've been saying this several times throughout the course of the season and last season. And the statistic that we tweeted out earlier was that Sebastian Vettel is now only the third most recent Ferrari driver to win a race. Is there any way back now for Sebastian Vettel at Ferrari? You're supposed to give a trigger warning before this conversation. Oh, sorry. Surely. Um, Okay, yeah, I listen, I'm not Vettel's biggest fan. However, that doesn't take away from the fact that Sebastian Vettel is a phenomenal racing driver on his day. Um, He's not having many of his days at the moment, and he showed that again. How many lockups and little errors did he have today that all managed, all ended up with Lewis crawling all over the back of him? Is there a way back for Sebastian Vettel? Of course there is. 
He's a four-time world champion who knows how to win races. All he needs is to knock out a decent pole position. Um, and, you know, if he can do that at Monza, he'll disappear off into the distance. And I just know it because I always fear whenever Seb's on pole. Because you get the boring races when Seb's on pole. Have you noticed that? He gets on pole, he smashes the first few laps, gets out of DRS and disappears. Um, so is there a way back? Definitely. He hasn't got a lot of time to solve it. If he doesn't solve it by the end of this season, it's a big problem. Watching Sebastian Vettel this weekend, it was like watching a heavyweight champion boxer, one of the greatest in the world, hanging off the ropes while he takes blow after blow and and getting cornered and taking the uppercuts with no rebuttal and no return. I think that's fair. I think that's fair, actually, Chris. I think... But how significant a moment is it as well that Ferrari asked him to move aside for Charles Leclerc in the intra-team battle and Leclerc eventually overshadowing Vettel? How crucial is that? So Seb's Apollo Creed and Leclerc is Ivan Drago. Is that basically what you're saying? I don't watch boxing. It was just an analogy. It's from a a movie. That's a Rocky reference. Oh, my God. I've realized how young Chris is now. Which Rocky? Embarrassing. Four. Oh, I haven't seen that one. One with the Russian. He is like a piece of iron, Trumpets. He is like a piece of iron. If only I could think of a recent example where a singular performance from someone caused him to be rated version 2.0 and porridge to be mentioned Uh, extensively. Look, I'm not going to deny the fact that I think Leclerc is a better driver than Vettel. But if you look at the races, and especially at race pace on Sundays, this is maybe the second or third time I've seen Leclerc actually be faster than him over the course of a whole race, which often comes down to managing the resources of the car carefully. Vettel has a lot of experience doing that. And on most tracks, I think that's still going to win out. I don't think it's crucial they asked him to move over because he was on a different strategy and he already knew, and I will hand it to him, he already knew that he wasn't as fast and he had zero issues because he knew it gave the team a chance to win. I think that's the mark of a true sportsman and I applaud him for it. Okay, two things. So let's put a pin in the the moving over and whether he was sacrificing himself for for Ferrari I think the the analogy to the heavyweight boxer that that Chris completely ruined in the end because he has, have you they just not seen the Rocky series that's really that's weird I've seen a couple of them I just haven't seen four okay not the one where they're fist fighting in the street that doesn't that doesn't count just the ones before that and now now the new ones uh so it's undeniable that that is what we saw today we did see a heavyweight champ is is a good analogy uh, being thoroughly beaten up today because it's not it's one thing just being beaten in the race that happens to be completely outpaced to the point where you are effectively forced by your team to stay out in much the same way that Raikkonen and Massa were were often left out and not pitted and just left on really worn tires just on the off chance that they could slow down Vettel or Alonso's competitor that very same tactic was used on Vettel today. And that that is incredibly telling because I, I don't think they'd have done that last season, even if Kimi was away winning the race at Spa last season. They would have still tried to find a way to get Vettel to the front. The, the point I want to make about the sacrificing is that 
Vettel sort of made out that he was happy to do his service uh, to the team, Matt. And I really don't see that today, what he did as a service. Yes, Ferrari did leave him out explicitly so he could hold out Hamilton. But Vettel's first instinct was absolutely to get off those boots before Hamilton even started attacking. He wanted to get off those boots, have a second stop, get fresh tyres, and his aim was to come back through the Mercedes. He wasn't thinking about holding them up and then pitting later to go for a fastest lap from fourth place. Yeah, let's be correct about that. He absolutely saw it in his own best interest to to pit around the same time Albon did and get onto a second set of tires. And with that much time left in the race, he might well have been able to uh, at the least uh, catch up with Botas and, and make a podium spot. But he mostly wanted to stay ahead of Hamilton, and that wasn't going to happen. I was talking about the earlier time, though, in my initial comments, when he moved aside for Leclerc. Oh yeah, that's the yeah. No, I, yeah. There's no issue there. Obviously, obviously, he was he was gonna get past. There was a slight moment where you thought could pure hubris have him hold up uh, Leclerc, but I think the politics of that would have been huge, and ultimately he would have been beaten. So I think it was, he yielded to that, not because he was being gracious, but because he knew that even if he tried, he was going to fail. I think if there was a, if he thought there was a chance, he could hold him up. If that was Monaco, he's he's going, oh no, I'm fine. I'm just conserving my tyres. We're okay. And he would have held that lead. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, oh. I can see your oh, argument. Oh, sorry. I, I'm uh, really I, not used to you seeing my argument and being reasonable. That was, uh, that's a first. I think, uh, I think that deserves a, that deserves a point. Well, we'll we'll have a point after this, uh, right? So, so that that team dynamic is it permanent, Matt? That's I think that's what everyone's driving at. You made a great point about Vettel's experience in races doing him really well at the moment, and Leclerc is missing that. And you're right, and that's why in the races he's missing more than he's hitting. But look at the stats in the qualifying. I know qualifying isn't everything. But it's six in a row. In fact, let's go to Jeansy. Jeansy, any other pairing where one driver had beaten him six times in a row, we'd be going, that's, that is really telling. Oh, yeah, completely. I mean, he's had him. But this is where been, there's been lots of conversations about um, when you hit your, you go past your particular peak, you go past a particular age, and your reactions aren't quite as good. You know, that's why we've seen Lewis not as good in qualifying this year. Seb not as good in qualifying this year. Two historically incredible qualifiers. And now they're younger, getting towards their peak teammates are proving them better. Um, so, Yes, Seb's got a lot of work to do if he wants to usurp him. But to be fair, you talk about Leclerc's race pace. Leclerc didn't make a single mistake today. Not true. Leclerc was. Leclerc was. You've missed. Oh one. yeah, he went off at um, whatever that Lecom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah Lecom. He went off at Lecom. Okay. He so made apart one from the, the mistake he made, he didn't make any mistakes. I'll give you that. I completely missed that. I didn't miss that. I completely your your about that. general point is taken. He drove incredibly. He did well drive today. phenomenally mm. today. He, you know, he made one tiny little error, but everyone had a bit of a lock up or whatever. And to be fair, at that corner, the second you realise you're not making it, it's actually quite easy to bounce across and not lose too much. So um, it was probably better that than having a big lock up and ruining a tire. Uh, well, Vettel also 
went off on that corner as well. So I think when two cars make similar errors, you wonder if there's something about the characteristic of of that car. Like in Germany, when both the Mercedes went off at nearly exactly the same point, you go, oh, there must be some handling characteristic of those cars in the wet uh, that lent it, uh, that, that lent, lent towards that kind of incident or mistake uh, but when you look at Leclerc's overall overall driving Jamesy do, do you do you have confidence that he's gonna go on and continue I think with him the outright performance isn't an issue it's nailing that outright performance consistently it's it's all about race pace and I think that's where I, 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 I sound bad doing all this but it's where Lewis shows everybody up Lewis could not necessarily be somewhere in qualifying and be a little bit out of sorts. And then all of a sudden, he just his the race pace is relentless. And that's what the likes of Max Verstappen, I think, has. I think Max has it. Um, I think Leclerc has it coming. But remember, Leclerc is in his second full season of Formula One. Max is in his fifth full season of Formula One. So... You know, people keep comparing Max to everybody else, to all the new rookies. You can't compare Max to the rookies because he's nowhere yeah. near a rookie no, anymore. Not at all. He's a multiple race winner yeah. and has been in the and been in the sport for five years. So, you know, when you look at Norris, when you look at Russell, when you look at Leclerc, they're not comparable to Max yet. Matt? Cat room has brought up something that I wasn't aware of. Uh, apparently Vettel skipped the brand new for Ferrari team photo, whether he didn't realize that was going to be done because it's never been team practice before or whether he chose to skip it on purpose. I, I don't know. I hadn't heard anything about it, but uh, I'm curious to get your take on it. Do you know what? I kind of don't mind when a driver doesn't turn up to that team photo when they've been beaten by their teammate. I don't mind. Clearly, from a publicity and PR point of view, they should. But you've got a whole team celebrating except for one person. And week after week, we kind of see it with Bottas. And it's like, yes, Bottas, you have been really, you come second, but you've been beaten by the only person that matters, your teammate. Please smile in this photo while everyone's cheering. And it's the same thing we saw with Rosberg in 2013, 14 and 15, where they basically continually kept bringing him out so that we could parade his failure week after week. It must be a horrible place to be as a driver. I'm being corrected multiple times by the chat room. Apparently he was in the back, although some people think he stepped backwards out of the shot. So... But those are the facts. But why not? Why not let Charles Charles Leclerc have his glory for his first F1 win? Maybe you're the four-time world champion and you go, sure, it's just not really about me today. I'll just sit back in the second row. Actually, I don't have a huge overall objection to that at all. I just want to round the Ferrari chat off by saying I am fully on the Leclerc hype train. I think he has raw raw potential in his second season in formula one the talent is undoubtedly there uh, if he can you know sort consistency out which there's no reason to say he he shouldn't do this is still him just in the early second half of his second season in f1 and his first season in a top flight car at the top end with all the pressure that goes with it and here he is picking up a race win in the season before his four-time world championship teammate. Uh, by the way, his teammate who had chances to pick up victories already this season. Uh, so I'm on the hype train fully. But I think we just want to, I want to quickly skip across to the silver cars. And, and I'll only go to Chris for this. Chris, Bottas had his contract renewed 
my question really is why on today's evidence he's really not he's not there like it's the it's I like Bottas he comes across really well he's clearly good but it is so the blandest choice you could have made as an F1 team so I think we discussed this a few uh, weeks ago before the announcement was made but for my money it's a safe pair of hands why take the risk on Ocon Ocon is a known quantity for sure but in terms of dealing with an actual Grand Prix race weekend against Lewis Hamilton. That's a big risk. Why risk taking the the, the shake-up? Put him in the Renault, let him develop for a little bit longer, and uh, and then if you want, you can just kind of scoop him back up when uh, when they're allowed to in 2022. Okay, others begging to get in. Uh, let's have Gene Z then trumpets. On the Bottas point, when it, I, I think... I think the comparison between Bottas and Lewis couldn't have been more clear today, which is in a fast race winning car, Bottas was close there or thereabouts and was lurking in the distance if there was a problem. Lewis was fighting for the race win. And if Lewis wasn't there today, that would have been a dull fight for the race win today. And that would have been a walkover by Leclerc. Uh, that's fair. I think, Matt, we did our little analysis last week of forgiving Vettel for all his mistakes. The part we didn't get to in our League of Justices, we were going to look at all the race weekends had Bottas's performance been the marker of the best you could have got out of Mercedes that weekend. Then we were going to take Hamilton's actual performance away and put him in just behind Bottas. And actually, Mercedes looked like kind of uh, an ordinary team in that top three they don't look like the ph- ph- phenomenal team that they have as you know 2017 2018 2019 yeah well i had been desperate to bring up this point since we were at spa one year ago ish our friend Ocon qualified third in a force india that was coming out of bankruptcy in the wet now we see mercedes resigning botas and Ocon off to Renault. And I'm just going to say that it's not down necessarily to his overall performance. I made the argument, and I think I'm being consistent here, that if Ferrari show up with the exact equal in terms of performance of Mercedes cars next year, that they may regret having Botas as a second driver mm-hmm. relative to Ocon. But having made that argument, it, it just, I, I'm baffled. And the only reason I can come up with is you say a safe pair of hands. I say Botas is like a comfortable pair of slippers for Lewis Hamilton. He's a very comfortable teammate for Lewis to have. And you'll note, and I bring this up as my final point, because I can see you telling me I'm taking too many words to say a thing. You just said more words explaining that. You've made it worse. That's part of that's part of my jokey brand. Don't you get this? All right. Uh, having said that, I want to bring up in qualifying, go back to qualifying. Do you remember when Botas didn't go in front of Lewis? When Lewis, like they had that whole contretemps on their first Q3 runs? And then yep. the second Q3 runs, they went out in order and Mercedes had sorted it behind the scenes. I, I think Hamilton wants someone who's only going to put up so much of a challenge. And I think any driver wants that. I highly rate Ocon, and as amazing as that Spa performance was last year, I think we all forget that that wet session was very, very odd in that a lot of the top cars weren't involved in that fight for various reasons, and his teammate was fourth on the grid in that race as well. So I, I, 
I can't I can't look at that and be like, well, he qualified third in that one race, that weird one session, therefore he deserves a Mercedes seat. There are other reasons he deserves a Mercedes seat, but I don't think he's 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 there yet. All right. Um, just to to round off uh, the the Bottas talk, obviously there was a lot of speculation between our special guests, and we did have people tweeting. Uh, one very angry person said that we had misled our listeners by suggesting that Ocon was going to Mercedes. Uh, now I, I rolled the tape back on what Matthew Carter said, and you can find it by going to mistapexpodcast.com and searching for the Matthew Carter episode. He said he was 100% certain that Ocon had a drive for next year and the contract had been signed. But then he said, in my opinion, so in Matthew Carter's opinion, he, he, and, and to be fair, an opinion is like a guess. He wasn't saying he had a source that was saying it. He said, in his opinion, that drive was going to be at Mercedes. That was his speculation. It seemed obvious to him. Uh, Joe Saywood uh, then took those rumors that Ocon had been confirmed at Mercedes that resulted from it and said, no, that, that definitely hasn't been confirmed. Um, and it looked like Joe had had the rub of the green on, on this one, as, as he so often does when it comes to the driver market. Let's not forget him calling signs to McLaren, everyone telling him he was barking mad, uh, and then that coming to pass. Uh, let's, uh, let's go over to our friends at Formula B. The midfield was fantastic again, Matt. The best year for midfield in a long time. It was. And although it's technically not Formula B, can we talk about Albon and Perez? Is that okay? So we're going to put Albon and Perez... Well, that's a mix, isn't it? That's a hybrid between the two formulas. That's a multi-class series you're describing there. Yeah, I mean, technically Red Bull is not Formula B, but because he started at the back and it was his first race in the car, he was he was keeping company with them. Yeah, it was a great battle. And I was very impressed to see how well Racing Point has got on, uh, granted with... Uh, some retirements to help them out. Um, But that duel at the end between the two of them, not only uh, the amazing overtake overtake down the straight on the grass, but prior to that, where they almost came to a complete stop and Lasaurus trying to goad each other into being the leader into the DRS detection zone. I mean, ah, what a wonderful, wonderful thing. Albon didn't really get a fair shot you know, a head-to-head with Max Verstappen no. because he gets to start the back with the with the power unit penalties. But what he could do was prove he can do what Pierre Gasly was criticised so much by Helmut Marco for not doing, and that is getting stuck in in the racecraft. We've seen for for ten races, Pierre would just kind of sit back and he wouldn't make the moves. Albon just went for it, and he pulled off some amazing moves around the outside of Ricardo of all people, who is an overtaking master. And that sheer commitment down the Kemmel Strait with the wheels on the grass, brilliant stuff. Uh, Jeansy, um, in the chat room, Valerie says, Alban, damn. He's, I'm going to do it in an American voice, I think. I'm going to assume Valerie's American. Damn, Alban, he seems chill, but boy, can he get aggressive. Perfect American accent, as you'll all agree. Uh, that move, I know, with... Um, on Ricardo, I know Ricardo had very worn tyres, but still, ooh. I I don't really care if Danny had bad tyres. He'd, he'd he'd already held Albon off round one particular corner, and then, but you just you don't even on even was even in a different class, you don't go round the outside of the corner of no name. But 
I, I, album album was fantastic today. He did such a good job. He made I didn't really see him make any errors, but you'll tell me he went off somewhere and I'm wrong. But anyway, um, didn't really see him make any errors. Uh, he was clear and concise with every single move he made. He made a really good lunge down on um, one of the hasses into the bus stop chicane. Yes. He just went round. I mean, and he was committed. I mean, on the grass past Perrin, have we had any news on that? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I think no further action, Chris. Brilliant, perfect result because I, did, I mean I didn't see other than anything other than the head, the, the front facing shot of it. But um, the, the noise you heard was Jeansy leaning forward and smacking all his equipment. I hit uh, my table. You, Damn it! You forfeit um, the rest of that sentence. Uh, I think Chris, the the investigation potentially would have been for Perez uh, closing the door, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. And because the move was successful and uh, Perez said that he thought Albon was going to go to the left, as soon as he saw him, he gave him more space. They both saw it as good, hard, proper racing, which is fair enough. Um, just to kind of finish up Matt's point about racing point, you know, they've got the big upgrades coming in now. I think we're starting to see the effect of the Stroll Consortium where they can bring these big updates to a lot more races than they could do. Uh, before now this is a circuit that they love they've gone on very well in the past so they could be flattering to deceive a little bit but nonetheless i think the future looks quite bright for racing point we'll see how they go in tracks like singapore and suzuka well i think i might be to blame jeansy for uh, one of the disasters that befell a british driver i'm gonna hold my hands up this is my fault towards the end of the race i started writing the show notes as i always do and i wrote this whole bit about how impressive norris was and what an amazing fantastic result it was it was gonna be And, and then to see him just like in fact we only saw him as the winners were coming over the line you're like oh i i i sure hope that signs Oh wait, signs already stalled on the on the start finish grid. He also he also then stalled on in the pits, and then his clutch went uh, at, at the end of the bus stop uh, chicane. That's Norris. Oh my God, how cruel is that? My heart broke. I mean, it's no it's no um no no surprise. I am a big Norris fan. Hashtag love Lando, but ah. Uh... He'd done so well. And I was like, I thought, oh, okay, maybe he kind of lucked himself into that position and was going to get reeled in by the likes of Perez. But nope. he was he was he was two, three tenths a lap quicker than Perez, had that gap behind him and in front of him, had it all to himself. He was cruising and oh, just so gutted. And it's not a McLaren track either. McLaren were not performing very well here. And I think that's you know, uh, putting uh, putting even more light on what an amazing performance that was by by Lando Norris. You know, we we're talking earlier about how how Max and and Charles have the the wow factor for the future. Lando is right up there as well. He purely got that position at the start as well by being absolutely on it with watching what was going on. Um, when you see the shot from his car of Kimi, Perez and Max, you see him see what happens and he instantly goes full lock on the wheel to get through the source and everyone else has washed out wide. He's the only person who's gone really, really tight. And all of a sudden he's behind the leaders. He's like, okay, I'll just sit here. So that was brilliant awareness from someone who has done a lot and lot of go-kart races. Yeah, and it's not just that. I mean, if you watched him throughout the race, uh, at least what I saw was that McLaren is now not really Formula B anymore. They're not Formula One. They're not Formula B. I don't know where exactly we put them, 
but they seem to be running in a category of their own, except for when the engines, which are supplied by, who is that again? <laughs> Matt, we, oh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be naughty and suggest such a thing, but weren't we, you know, talking about the whole Toro Rosso versus Renault fights in the paddock, a beatable squaring up to Franz touched and, and having all those, those arguments. And we suggested, I cannot remember who it was. Was it even, was it Joe? Ah. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm speaking out of turn. I think Carter. it was, was it Carter who says, I think, yeah, what's going to happen if McLaren start doing better than Renault? You're suddenly going to see the McLaren engine starting to go pop. And on the last lap, that is really super duper suspicious, super duper suspicious. It is. And it's not like Carter ever had any dealings with Renault or yeah, knows Renault. what it's like <laughs> to, to have them as a partner. So, you know, nothing but speculation there. Of course. Chris, uh, you are a responsible broadcaster, so you can dampen down this terrible talk me and Matt are, are spewing. Well, I would say, given the various resources at McLaren's disposal that perhaps are not there for Renault, you would hope that if they were running the same engine, that McLaren would very much be the more impressive car of the two. And indeed, they were. Renault, for me, were slightly underwhelming. Um, this weekend to be fair with Ricardo they stopped him on lap one and just ran him through to the end uh, but uh, even so I expected Hulkenberg to be a little bit further up there than uh, indeed he was good I, I'm very sorry I feel like I should add that Hulkenberg especially is now a man trying to advertise his services for 2020 he's got that added pressure on him now the only other thing I think that's worth bringing up for whatever reason is that the Cars that ran the alternate strategy today, starting on the medium tires, wound up doing very, very well, with Norris being the big exception, because he got to the front, and essentially, I mean, he had his own private rolling enclosure racetrack for pretty much the entire time. The leaders were far away from him. No one chasing him was really very close. He had like 20 seconds either side. I mean, he was probably playing Nintendo Switch in the cockpit or something like that. Uh, Edge Hammer in the chat room says, it is suspicious. It's Kubica's engine blowing up in Q1 and giving Lewis extra time to get out in qualifying levels of suspicious. That's true. I was trying to think of the rules uh, around being lapped. And if I'm not completely mistaken, if you are lapped by the leader, then your your race ends as soon as the leader's race ends. So once Verstappen had crossed the line, had Norris been lapped, he could have followed Verstappen over the line, had to do a lap less and would have finished the race in fifth place. But I don't know how much warning he had that the engine was going to die. It would have been kind of, it would have been comical, I suppose, to see Norris really slowly going through the bus stop, trying to wait for the leaders to come through and then spluttering and crawling over the line. Much like I imagine Chris does with his car with the, the fuel needle on empty going, no, I can squeeze just one more trip to work out of that. <laughs> Do you know, it's funny. I had a very uh, similar experience <laughs> with uh, Pip Hammond at uh, Silverstone the other week, where we was pretty much running on empty for the final 20 minutes. Um, I'm sure he'll appreciate me <laughs> saying that. Um, the point I was going to make um, was about um, Antonio Giovinazzi and how I feel I feel bad for him because he was on for a rare point today and uh, that last lap crash uh, denied him that, which I think is a, is a, is a real shame. For him, I feel I should say, because somebody got angry 
with oh, me on Twitter for saying that. Yeah, no, someone said, oh, it's not a shame because he's rubbish and I can't wait for him to disappear out of F1 and leave a space for an actual talented driver, which, I mean, it's harsh. It's not entirely unfair because, you know, he hasn't he hasn't done anything spectacular. But yeah, a shame for him. Absolutely, Trumpets. And, and quite unexpected as well. I mean, what was the circumstances of that crash? Because I sort of missed it. By himself into oh. the wall. Well, it's not a shame then, really, is it? I guess you just you've dropped it, so or something broke. But I haven't heard anything. I don't know if anybody else has either. No, let's uh, let's just let's just blame him. Let's just blame him and move on to the podium. Clearly, a very difficult podium, a difficult weekend for everyone after the incidents in F2. I will take my hat off to the Sky team who broadcasted in a very well-pitched tone, considering that Formula One decided to go racing today, which I also think was the right decision. They they honoured uh, Antoine very well all throughout. I think the, the tone was covered respectfully whilst still honouring the racing by having a good event today. Uh, everything on the podium was done respectfully, and I think everybody dealt with it as well as you possibly can. There's no right or, or wrong way really to approach these things. And I think that is the best we could have hoped for. But we are here to give awards in the podium section of Missed Apex Podcast. Thank you for listening to our race review. We do work hard and we do negotiate hard because we are family men and uh, and women when we have Sarah on as well. We do have to negotiate with our partners to give up a Sunday afternoon. We do have to negotiate with our partners who have to pick up uh, the slack with with children or tolerate us setting up in the living room and uh, and talking F1 for a couple of hours. So when I say kind permission of our better halves, I mean it. We love them and we thank them. So uh, we could give them our Thing of the Weekend award. However, we won't. Uh, we're going to ask the panel for their Things of the Weekend and you in the chat room for your Thing of the Weekend as well. Do consider consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash missed apex. And I'll go to Matt for your Thing of the Weekend first, seeing as you seem to be losing it over a chat room comment. Absolutely Thing of the Weekend. Many things of the weekend, but if we're restricting ourselves to Formula One, I'm going to go with the Albon pass down the Kimmel Strait on the grass. Thing of beauty. Yeah, Albon, uh, generally impressive. Fair that he he was starting from a, a lower position, so he was sparring with people in less good machinery. Uh, but also, I think, beneficial to Albon this weekend that his first weekend wasn't a direct comparison against Verstappen. It was clear uh, from the onset that he was running a different setup, that they were focusing on the race, a completely different challenge running around at the back. So uh, a, a, an encouraging start for Albon, but we will be curious to see how he does in, in Monza uh, and races going forward. Chris, who gets your thing of the weekend award? Uh, I think it's Lando Norris, no question. Okay, good. You don't wish to extemporize? I don't, I don't think I need to. Okay, but... good. Don't ever write a book on like your opinions on Formula One. It's <laughs> like a pamphlet. Uh, no, just going to move on. Gene Z, who is your thing of the weekend? I got a whole load. Um, Go to for be it. Honest, but, but to be fair, um, I've got to give it to Leclerc. Emotional, emotional day for him. Mature drive. Apart from his one little chazorn that I forgot about. Um, says a lot about it. He was just on the pace. Didn't, re- didn't um, 
falter under the pressure from a hunting Lewis Hamilton um, who doesn't look like he's going to let his crown go to one of these young kids too soon. He wants to show that he's still got all the fight in him of a 20-something year old. Um, But yeah, Charles Leclerc, masterpiece. Do you know, I I wish I'd made this point earlier, but I feel like it's poignant to bring it up now, is that the mental resilience of that young man is astonishing. We saw it in, in F2, dominating the weekend, uh, the, the weekend that his, his father died and his, his godfather, Joe Bianchi, also. And, and now this weekend as well, that man has, has dealt with some tragedy in, in, in recent years, but he deals with it in an, an astonishing way and carries himself so wonderfully. And that is going to pay him in, in very good stead in his career. Uh, Carola likes to would like to echo your comments and says uh, Leclerc being the winner in this race uh, for managing to do all that with his friend dying on Saturday. Um, let's see. Uh, F one MIA Ham says Antoine's mother how brave she was with her eldest son. Uh, how brave she was this being with her. Uh, sorry, was it um, was it Antoine's brother that was there with with the mother uh, the day after as well incredibly brave taking the time to go round to all the drivers and and speak to the drivers that had shared shared career time uh, with her son um thing of the weekend for philip allen spa great circuit great race again and there was one about the spirit of the here we go justin pierpoint thing of the weekend the spirit of the racing community and how everyone pulled together valerie in there with mention of the 19th lap uh, tribute which i thought was was very touching a round of applause suddenly erupting around the circuit and realizing it was you know the 19th lap in honor of uh, the number 19 uh, of antoine uh, all very all very well done and and taking the most positives we can out of a very difficult weekend uh, mark greenow says lando's his thing of the weekend he's the kid that did the kemmel run in less than 12 parsecs uh there we go and uh graham king is chris calling chuck a young man aren't you about the same age um probably i think i'm maybe only a couple of months older than him <laughs> <laughs> okay uh well look we can't be super positive all the time we just can't uh there's a bad thing award and that's the missed apex award matt who missed the apex for you Baz. has in general yeah it was um interesting to hear magnuson before the race so one of the one of the pit lane reporters said you know you're struggling with tire wear he's like no it's the opposite we can't we just can't use them. We can't get the tyres working at all. Still, this was the same problem they were complaining about in the in the flyaways. It's the same problem they've been complaining about all season long. I don't know what or how they've designed their car, but they are unable to get the tyres into the window where they work. And if they get there, it seems to be entirely by accident. And most times, if they get there, they wind up not staying there. So over the course of a race, they'll be fast for a couple of laps, and then they're just done. There's not... I mean, it was... I mean, I can't even... They could have had a Formula 2 engine in the back of their car as slow as they were around that track. And I, I just... I feel sorry for them because the car itself is fast and qualifying... It's 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 only slower than the McLarens in quality pace, but they just have not solved that problem at all. Chris Stevens, who missed the apex for you? Uh, anyone who made reference to a certain meme involving oh the it's Radion actually. Yes, I do. No, um, my serious one uh, though is Max. 
I yeah he 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 made a, an unnecessary risk and it really didn't pay off for him and I think he still has uh, a bit of way to go before we see the level of maturity in in him Ooh. and racing awareness you know do you know how much you tr- i know no one from the netherlands is listening uh to this race review because they all switch their tellies off after lap two but do you know how much it triggers everyone in the netherlands when you talk about his maturity jamesy you're shaking your head at chris stevens you yell at him for a bit uh the thing is i have the complete opposite miss the apex of that which is kimmy hitting max um <laughs> because kimmy hitting max denied us of a decent race max was well within his rights to have gone for that move any racer would have gone for that move we see that move at the source every single year and generally there's no issue last time it was it was seb who squeezed him who squeezed kimmy and max um yeah that was completely and utterly um yeah uh, uh um, bad bad thing just say Kim, bad Kim, thing. Kim, okay. kimmy's fault but yes my to that my bad thing wasn't i've have that written down as okay one of wait my a minute matt, matt sorry just from a from a production point of view now it's me that's upset the dutch fans by suggesting they've turned off they've said in the chat room sorry michael dustelhoff of course you stayed for the whole race and you're here in the live stream well, I hadn't realized we were taking Missing the Apex literally this weekend, so can I change my vote to Stroll for entirely Missing the Apex and running to the back of Ricciardo instead? Yeah. What, was that his fault? Would the, oh, I know Ric- Ricciardo had, like, slowed down a lot to try and stay out of trouble, but then Stroll just, I don't know, just just uh, just goes into the back of him. I mean, uh, okay, Chris? I, I have another one. Uh, Grosjean hitting Stroll uh, into Lecom. He was being passed, and then Stroll oh, yeah. said, oh, a bit of that, and Roman just I don't. To me, I I stand to be corrected because I only saw it once. It looked like Stroll just ramming into Grosjean. I I thought that was Stroll at fault there. But if you want to tell me differently, I'll accept it. I I disagree. For me, it was Roman turning in on. on Okay. All right. Uh, Jeansy. I've got two other sort of missed apexes. One was was Red Bull's starts. Red Bull slash Max's starts. What is going on? Yep. Bad. Because because if, if that hadn't happened, Max wouldn't have got anywhere near Kimmy and Max would have been fine. Um, I don't know whether it's Max who's only getting bad starts or it's both Red Bulls. But Can't remember because I sort of zoned out of what Gasly was doing after race but, three. But to be fair, I think the biggest one is Giovinazzi. Yeah. He was on for really good points and bins it on the last lap. He, he's done through, nothing. Through, he? through what is pretty much a flat out corner these days or needs just a bit of a lift. So what the heck was he doing? So unless some news comes in that he had some kind of mechanical failure. I mean, Giovinazzi has done absolutely nothing to show that he is, you know, in the top 20 of single seater drivers and, and worthy of an F1 place. He's not. A, is he a rich kid? That He's not a stroll, is he? That's come in with money bags, Chris. So kind of what's happening? Um, I, I fear he's having uh, an adaptability issue because in the junior single seaters, he was brilliant. He is, is he's not a rich kid. In, in fact, he had to have his career funded uh, by uh, another very wealthy uh, racing driver who I won't name. Uh, who, but, who was uh, it? I just said I won't name him. Wait, but why though? Because anyway. Was it Massa? No, it's Italian. Uh, um, Lacey. No, you you won't guess it. I, I uh, guarantee you, you won't. Uh, Alacy's French. Oh, okay, sorry. Is it probably Trulli. Oh no, Trulli's not in it anymore. Trulli. No. Was it Lucas Degrassi? Anyway, my point is, he is uh, a very talented. Luyutsi. driver. Okay, okay, go on then. Yeah, he's a very talented driver. So you say. 
and I, I'm I'm really surprised by uh, how much of a struggle his debut Formula One season has been. Uh, I, I, and I really want a proper a proper answer for it because I'm. Hang on, chat room. Chat, chat room wants to weigh in on this. Is it Badoa or, or Corsican? Is it you're really not going to say? Get off the fence, Stevens, and just tell everybody. It's not about being on a fence. Tell me after, and I'll, I'll tell you all what he said. <laughs> anyway, uh, right, okay. Um, we need to move on. Uh, we are we're running out of time. Um, it is time for the Pony Awards. Grosjean. Oh my goodness. Hey, um, Roman, Roman. Sorry, sorry to bother you. It's your race strategist here. Me and the boys in the garage been having a little bit of a look at the situation. We're wondering if you might assess some of the the situations that might unfold, that might enable you to, you know, race and overtake people. No, no. Oh, my goodness. It is impossible. Why are you asking me this thing? It is not possible. I'm not doing it. No. And I just thought, oh, my God. All they're telling you to do is look out for a chance of an overtake. And he's just, Jamesy, that's not a racer mentality. That's the mentality of someone who's checked out. He was fuming. To be fair, both of them were fuming. They just had no straight line speed. They had no tire temperature. And that was the whole thing. I understand why he was upset. He's like, you're telling me to overtake somebody. I've been trying to overtake this person for 30 laps. Yeah. But I can't okay. get near them on the straight. But he didn't say overtake. He said an opportunity to overtake might come up later because people's tires are dropping off a cliff. Yes. But then he said, doesn't matter. I can't catch people in a straight line. So what's the point? Uh, MIA in the chat rooms saying, is Grosjean Italian? Uh, no, that was a perfect French accent. If it was Italian, I'd have moved my hands, but they were down by my side trumpets. I think that's Mia, but yes. Oh, what? Really? You're going you're gonna to yeah. come at me for pronunciations, are you? Okay, fine. Uh, right. Where are we? Uh, we, are, we are at the end of the show. You can follow Matt at no, go on, go on, Jeansy. So when I say it's the end of the show, here's your opportunity to make eight more points. Uh, on mute as well. Fantastic. Thanks for your contribution. Uh, why don't you unmute, then hit the desk again, and, and then make your eight points? <laughs> you didn't come to me for my pony. <sighs> and my pony's an ironic one, because it's Mercedes have been moaning all weekend about the straight line speed of a Ferrari, when for the last six years, or however long it's been since 2014, they've had the straight line speed. And I just find it really, really funny. And the Merck's going, yeah, we just haven't got enough straight line speed. Those Ferraris are just too fast in the straight line. It's like, yeah, okay. You've had that advantage. You can't really moan about it now. Absolutely, they can't. And I think it's only going to be a problem, really, for maybe two other races on the calendar. Maybe one, well, Abu Dhabi, maybe. And then also, uh, obviously, Monza, obviously. It won't matter by Abu Dhabi. Oh, no, because no, it'll be done. Yeah, <laughs> in fact, here's a, here's a statistic from Phil Christensen in our Slack group which is uh, a group where we put our our patrons because uh because we we love our patrons our patrons are like members of the board and uh, you are incredibly influential in everything we do and in, indeed mr apex is only here because you went to mr apex uh, sorry to patreon.com forward slash mr apex to support us um and we have a, a great community in our a slack app group i think that's what it's called phil christensen did the maths for us and said that if Bottas wins the eight remaining races and secures the fastest lap in all of those races, Lewis Hamilton can finish second in each race and win the World Drivers' Championship by one point. There you go, Gene Z. What do you think of that? That's hilarious. So yeah, um, Lewis Hamilton, 2019 World Champion. 
eight races. But was it ever in doubt, to be fair? You can follow Matt at MattPT55. You can buy books from his wife where there are such uh, topics as Formula One, detective stories and love making all interlaced together to make for mucky books that you and your partner may enjoy she's at a weaver writes on twitter chris stevens has changed from his terrible twitter handle which had 17 underscores he only changed it due to peer pressure from me that's how much he respects and fears me he is now findable at chris on racing on twitter and part and uh, very much the the PR man these days. Since you're such a good PR man, I, I look at your tweets and I say they're so well put together. Can you really not be bothered to sign into the Missed Apex account and do the tweets from Missed Apex so they're not just typo ridden ridden garbage? If you ever give me the login, I might. I will. I'll do that. I'll do that today. Uh, Alex Van Jean at Alex Van Jean V A N G E E N. I think. There we go. Alex Van Jean. Many Van Jeans around, are there? It's quite a rare name. No, not too many. Um, there's definitely not another Alex Van Jean around. Well, there you um, go. But there's, there's lots of history behind, behind my surname, but I'm not getting into that now. Spanners, of course, uh, we're going karting in three weeks, aren't we? Three weeks' time, we'll be at Buckmore Park on the, the 21st of September. Uh, the seats are now full for that but you can of course come along and and spectate if you should wish from two o'clock also on the following sunday we'll be watching the singapore grand prix there and doing a live podcast race review i'm thoroughly looking forward to the karting i've got Kovkart the week before at pfi then i've got the missed apex event i am thoroughly thoroughly looking forward to it it's going to be awesome and no excuses because bradley philpott's waiting up ballasting up to your weight he is. Yep. I'm looking forward to it. We've already had a lot of bravado between them, between the <laughs> pair of us. He he's he's he keeps saying he's going to make me thoroughly regret it. And to be fair, it's it's a it's a win win for me. If I get within a couple of tenths, I look fantastic. If I beat him, he looks really really bad. So I've actually got nothing to lose. Fantastic. Well, uh, there is still one thing to win, Matt. <laughs> you thought I'd forgotten, but I was looking in the chat room and they helped me out. Comment of the week. Right. So I was just going to ask Jeansy real quick. You have nothing to lose, but like the actual race. Correct? Yeah, yeah. You could lose the race. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And just, we'll judge as long you. As clear on that. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, we're going to start with my favorite, Bruce Wayne, who heralded my return from wherever I'd been. I sacked him. I sacked him. Trumpet the White, <laughs> a la Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. Uh, but then confusingly followed it up with, damn, Matt looks really good with the tan. So, and your yeah. beach, your beach hair looks fantastic this week. Well, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his actual first contribution must be Ferrari strategist confirmed Aztec, sacrificing Vettel in brutal fashion to the racing gods to break the curse. Yeah, very good. Uh, any more candidates? Um, yes, we're going to go with Eyehammer saying um, it's. F1, it's Kubitz's engine blowing up in Q1 and Lewis getting out in Q1 levels of suspicious regarding Norris's last lap parking. That's just fantastic. I I struggled to to compose myself and, and read that when that came up. A very, very funny comment. It was. And then we had this, I don't know, group contribution, starting with <laughs> F1 Mia Hamm, who said, who went, Grosjean said today he has options in the paddock, shrug. 
followed by Clappers going, yes, in the catering department. Neuropean going, the catering contract for the VIP option could be good. And Watley going, Grosjean future paddock options are largely catering-based. Finish off with, try the Ericsson souffle. So I, they it's all gonna, kind of work together. I think this suspicious one's going to be hard to beat. I think so. And then, of course, your friend Mark Greenhoe going with Lando. He's that kid that did the Kimmel run in less than 12 parsecs. I, I would be... I would be leaning towards that if star wars wasn't terrible but it is terrible so no all right well congratulations to iHammer then for this week's comment of the week fantastic thank you for joining us in the live chat you can follow the show at missed apex f1 and you can also follow me on twitter at spanners ready we also have a facebook group if you're a facebooky person search for missed apex podcast there uh well i think we're going to be doing our race review as normal 8 p.m uk time so please join us for the live stream and we'll still be sure to get your race review ready for your monday morning commute thanks for dropping by guys see you later mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.